I love this uh, quote that Eric Devander always says. He says, if you're not winning, you're learning. And I actually think that's, that's really awesome. I try and take that with me a lot. Um, of course, uh, a good reminder of that is try on last year when I was in the lead and had the last fence down in the show jumping, which still hurts. <laughs> I'm not going to say it doesn't. Um, and I think uh, when the, the initial hurt wears off, you have to go back and say, well, what could I have done better? Um, how could I have changed that? And um, I, I always try and say, you, you take what you can learn with you and throw the rest in the trash. And I think that's an important way to go forward is try and always learn from the mistakes, but not dwell on too many aspects of them because um, that's not healthy either. And that doesn't make you better, but you know, you have to, you have to own them. You have to own what's gone wrong and you have to figure out why it went wrong and, and how you can be better. And that's what we're all trying to do is just be better all the time. And everybody's going to make mistakes sometimes. So you've just got to keep finding a way to make the good moments better. Welcome to the Practical Horseman podcast featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Julia Murphy, and this week's episode is with accomplished five-star eventer and Team USA member, Liz Halliday-Sharp. During our conversation for this podcast, Liz told me about her journey in the sport. I love how she talks about taking hunter-jumper lessons as a child in Southern California and not really loving it. So she moved on to Pony Club and that's where she found her passion for eventing. When she was 21, Liz took a leap of faith and moved to England to train with William Fox Pitt for a year, but one year turned into 20. She'll go more into her time overseas in a little while. You'll also hear Liz talk about some of the most influential horses in her life. From a horse in England called Cheese to her current Olympic qualified mount, De Niro Z. Plus, Liz lets us in on how her experience as a race car driver applies to her career as an international eventer. After nearly 20 years in England competing and making a name for herself, Liz returned to the States full time in 2020, headquartering her operations in Ocala, Florida, and Lexington, Kentucky. Following a massively successful season, including nine international wins, more than any other rider in 2020, and an additional 16 national wins, Liz was named the 2020 U.S. Eventing Association's Rider of the Year, making her the first female to win this award since 1981. I did the math for you. That's 39 years. This year, Liz has continued competing at the three-star, four-star, and five-star levels with several of her horses. At the 2021 Land Rover Kentucky three-day event, Liz and De Niro Z claimed 10th place in the CCI five-star long. Now, Liz has her eye on the prize, the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. She's hoping for the opportunity to represent the United States, which she'll touch on in this podcast. Before the conversation with Liz gets underway, I want to thank the sponsor of this week's podcast, Bymeda. Bymeda might be the biggest animal health company you've never heard of until now. Bymeda's products have been trusted by veterinarians and owners since the 1960s when their Irish roots began. Bymeda is one of the largest producers of dewormers, like Equimax, Bimectin, and Exodus. World-renowned equine athletes also rely on polyglycan, a patented formula that replaces lost or damaged synovial fluid, and Confidence Ec Pheromone Gel, which reduces and prevents equine stress. Consult your veterinarian and visit bymedaus.com to see where to buy their products. 
Now let's jump into the podcast with Liz. All righty. So question one, how did you get interested in horses and horseback riding? Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of funny because none of my family rode at all. It was, a, it was all me, I guess. Um, but sort of as long as I can remember, I always wanted to ride. Um, I know that I was always into horses, even when I was very small. My mom said I was in love with the horses that lived up the road from us. And um, I mean, I was riding the, the tree in the backyard with a towel on the back and a jump rope for reins from as early as I can remember. So it was always a dream. So what was it about horses in the sport that's kept you involved for so long? Um, I mean, look, I'm, I've always been an animal person and I, I really, I just enjoy that partnership with horses, I think. And it's, um, it's such a intense sport, you know, it really is um, two athletes working together. And for me, when I first uh, joined Pony Club, when I was quite young, that was my introduction to eventing. And I knew that was what I enjoyed the minute I tried it and went cross country and sort of I've always enjoyed the training aspect of three different disciplines um I really enjoy sort of the day-to-day all different things and um teaching the horses to really be with you and and to have that real partnership that this sport involves and I've always been a big fan of that sort of the the training and the day-to-day more than even just the competitions can you maybe touch a little bit more on the pony club and how you started in the sport uh, yeah, so when when I, fr- I first started riding when I was eight, and um, I actually did a tiny little bit of hunter jumpers because I grew up in California, Southern California, and that was kind of more the thing, and um, didn't love that. And uh, I had an opportunity to go to Pony Club just with a little leased horse from the small barn that, that was down the road from me. Um, it was Fallbrook Pony Club in Southern California, just a little, a little one. But um, yeah, I think sort of my first taste of um, cross country and I was pretty much sold. So that was a, a real step forward. And then I did a bunch of my ratings. I can't even remember. I think I did up through my B. And um, I did the Pony Club Championships um, when I was 13. And that was a lot of fun. I was on the show jumping team and um, sort of did a whole bunch of stuff that way. And that, that really got me into eventing because, of course, in California, it's not as big. And, and certainly back then, it, it wasn't as easy to um, go eventing as it is now. Who were some of your mentors or people who have influenced your riding over the years? Um, Well, probably uh, one of my biggest mentors, influencers um, would be William Fox Pitt, for sure. I uh, had the opportunity to move to England when I had just turned 21 and I went to work for him. And um, I would say I really didn't know anything at the time. (laughs) I sort of thought I knew a lot, but I really didn't. And um, I've really learned a lot from him through the years. Um, and he's he's still a, a good friend, and I look forward to seeing him in Kentucky next week. Um, I, I also have to credit um, Don Sechi, who um, I was based at their farm, Rain Tree Ranch, when I went to um, college at uh, University California, Santa Barbara. And he actually really uh, gave me sort of the kick up the backside that I needed when I was a freshman in college and sort of trying to still ride, which is really difficult. I'm sure anybody who's tried to do that knows it's difficult when you're sort of growing up and trying to find your way. And uh, he actually really pushed me to move to England, which um, I give him a lot of credit for that. And I think um, possibly if I hadn't had that push from my family and from him, I wouldn't have taken that plunge, which became such a big part of my life. Um, They're probably the two of the the biggest ones. And um, 
of course, I had a lot of help from Joe Meyer for a lot of years when I was in England as well. And he really helped to, to push me on when I was still kind of learning my way. Did you, um, did you graduate college and then go to England or did you go um, before you graduated? I went before I had done three years and I actually uh, went uh, in good standing and I went to spend uh, a year away. I say a year in quotes now because it, a year became nearly 20. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was meant to just do a year working for William and then come back and finish up, but that just kind of didn't happen. So um, I don't think it's heavily influenced my life path. Um, I was a marine biology major, which I really enjoy. I still enjoyed that. But um, do I think I would be working toward that path now? No, I don't. So um, yeah, it would be nice to have to have finished, but it's, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way the world has taken me. <laughs> why do you like eventing as and like that specific discipline? What is it about eventing that you love so much? I mean, <clears throat> I suppose there's a lot of things about it, but um, of course I, I think you don't event unless you enjoy cross country. I think you're definitely in the wrong career path if you don't like to jump solid things at speed. Um, but for me, it's not just about that. It's, it's sort of the all three uh, disciplines. I really, I really enjoy that side of it, sort of different training every day, trying to be good at three different, very different things and, and teaching your horse to be good at three different things. Um, I really, really enjoy that. I always have. Um, I, I do love dressage as well, um, but I, I can't see myself without the other phases uh, in my life yet. Maybe when I'm, when I'm older in my 60s, I'll be happy to just be a, a dressage queen. But um, right now I, I really enjoy that whole aspect of it and I enjoy it just from the competing, but also from a training perspective. You know, I like having that that schedule where you're trying to keep things interesting for the horses, but still teach them to be better at all three phases. And speaking of your horses, can you tell us about some of your most influential horses in your life, uh, who they were and what they were like and why they were so influ influential for you? Probably my first really special horse um, for me, I suppose, in, in stepping me up was a, a lovely Irish horse called Bally Supreme. His uh, name in the in the stall was Cheese. I did not name him, but I am a believer that it's bad luck to change their stable names, so it stuck. Um, I got him, I want to say, I think my second year in England, and um, he had not done that much. I think he'd maybe done a few um, preliminaries over there. Anyway, we did. Um, we went from doing our first intermediate together all the way up to my first um, then three-star, now four-star, um, which we did at Bukalo in Holland. Um, and he jumped double clear. And I would say Cheese was not blessed with a huge amount of scope, um, but what he lacked in scope and gallop, he made up for in heart. And um, he just would do anything for me. And um, I think I owe him a lot. We learned a lot together and he sort of gave me that taste of the upper level that I wanted. Um, and then, I mean, there's been a lot of influential horses in my life, but of course, uh, another one is um, a wonderful horse called HHS Cooley. It was the first Cooley horse I had, and I now have a, a very long-standing relationship with Cooley Farm. Um, he also took me around my first five-star um, at Kentucky a few years ago, um, and I sort of had him from, I think he'd done one small event when I got him, so we sort of went from the bottom up to five-star, which was pretty cool, and um I sadly lost him in an accident um, not that many months after I did Kentucky when he was entered for Burley. So that was 
obviously a really big, it was a very difficult moment in my life, but also it's a horse that I owe a lot to because he had a huge heart and he sort of helped me fulfill some dreams. Um, and I think I have plenty of horses now that I would like to say are influencing me. So um, I've, I have a lot of really special horses in the barn now. So that's pretty exciting. I'm sorry to hear about uh, your loss with that horse, but it sounds like you guys had a really wonderful relationship. Yeah, we were good friends. Tell us about some of your most favorable wins. Last year was obviously a, a really big year. That was pretty cool for me. Um, winning Great Meadows and Plantation on De Niro Z was, was really cool. Um, actually, I mean, I had a, quite a few really great FEI wins last year, which was awesome. But those were kind of big ones for me. Just um, trying to sort of make our mark and show that, you know, we could kind of be up there and start from the beginning and keep it was pretty cool. Um, and I think you always remember your first um, first FEI win, first long format FEI win, which I suppose I, I won't forget that because it's when you're young, it's kind of the big dream. And um, when I won a, an event called Alden in England, I won the CCI one star uh, long over there. Well, now two star and um, on a Welsh Cobb cross, actually, it's quite a talented horse. He sounds like a like a lump, but he wasn't. <laughs> and, um, it was that was kind of a. A big moment in life you don't you don't forget about that but um hopefully there'll be even bigger ones to come soon of course in this sport and with the horses competing does not always go as planned how do you deal with just not winning in general or if you don't compete as well as you had would have liked to or if you were a little disappointed how would you, how do you uh, deal with that um, oh, I mean, I, I, I love this uh, quote that Eric Devander always says. He says, if you're not winning, you're learning. And I actually think that's that's really awesome. I try and take that with me a lot. Um, of course, uh, a good reminder of that is try on last year when I was in the lead and had the last fence down in the show jumping, which still hurts. <laughs> I'm not going to say it doesn't. Um, and I think uh, when the the initial hurt wears off. You have to go back and say, well, what could I have done better? Um, how could I have changed that? And um, I, I always try and say, you, you take what you can learn with you and throw the rest in the trash. And I think that's an important way to go forward is try and always learn from the mistakes, but not dwell on too many as aspects of them because um, that's not healthy either. And that doesn't make you better. But you know, you have to, you have to own them. You have to own what's gone wrong and you have to figure out why it went wrong and, and how you can be better. And that's what we're all trying to do is just be better all the time. And everybody's going to make mistakes sometimes. So you've just got to keep finding a way to make the good moments better. Do you ever get nervous? And if you do, how do you handle your nerves? I, absolutely. Of course. I think, I think if you don't get nervous then you're not human <laughs> like it's uh, of course people get nervous but um i i think um i i think i do perform well under pressure i've always been someone that that likes that sort of high pressure environment and um i love a competition environment um and i think every time you're in a in a position where your nerves are high it makes you better because you learn to deal with them better so um i certainly kind of have a bit of a system now and I try and just channel myself into the moment um sort of a little bit tunnel vision I guess when you're nervous you just focus on the plan and as long as you're prepared and you and you have your plan then you just go and you execute it and I think um I mean I'm not I'm not someone that 
has huge issues with it, but it's, of course it's there. Of course it's there. Everybody gets nervous. So I'm always trying to just make sure that I put that into the right place so that I perform better rather than let it get in my way. And speaking of these uh, nerves and high pressure situations or competing, can you touch a little bit on your driving days and how that may have impacted the, the way that you handle these situations? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Back back when I was racing, I was racing at quite a high level and it was um, unbelievable pressure. I mean, I can't even uh, express how much it was because we were, uh, I was doing longer races for the most part, so just between six hours and 24 hours. So you were nearly always in a team with another driver or another two drivers. So, um, you know, our job was obviously we had to keep the car in one piece, but be performing at a very high level and, and be very consistent with the lap times despite the traffic. And then of course you're dealing with that and also trying to make sure that you're up to standard against the other drivers in your team or above them and, and perform for the whole team. Cause it's not just winning as drivers, you've got all the mechanics behind you and everything. So um, it certainly was a huge amount of pressure. And if you're in the car for three hours, you're sort of trying to perform at that maximum level all the time. It's it's a lot to deal with, um, but I loved it. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely loved it. It was absolutely wonderful. And But I think that that has helped me, you know, I, I've been in that place before, you know, and I think, I hope that that is something that will help me be a very good team member. Um, it's having had all that level of pressure with the team um, so many times before. Um, I'm very much hoping to to bring that with me when I, get my chance to represent my country. How did you get into that? Uh, my dad was into racing. He actually um, was an instructor, a racing instructor for a long time. And um, mainly he raced historic cars and that sort of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, he taught me to drive the race car when I got my driving license. And we actually shared a car together, just a, an older, uh, it was a, a 1967 Datsun 510, actually. It was a super cool car. Um, it was a lot of fun to drive and um, we shared that for a few years together and then it kind of just progressed on from there and um, yeah I I'm, I'm feel very very lucky that I got to race some of the best tracks and some of the best races in the world it was a really really amazing experience that I will never forget and um, I, I still miss it but I feel that I'm riding better now that I'm focusing on four legs instead of four wheels or both together <laughs> Going back to the four legs instead of the four wheels, do you have any routines before a big competition, like say Kentucky or looking forward to the Olympics, any kind of routines? Right now, I'm just trying to take a breath because I've been on the road for six weeks competing, which is amazing. It's been wonderful, but um, it's just really nice to be home for a minute. Um, but certainly I like to, for the big competitions, I like to really have a schedule you know I make a plan with my girls every night so we have every every hour mapped out what the horses are going to do um, through the day what they need uh, you know everything so that there's no anxiety from not being sure of what, what the plan is I think that's really important so you can just focus on the job um, and, and I'm definitely a, a very visual person so before I will ride around the cross country or anything like that I have to I literally will have to sort of ride it in my head. I like to just have a moment and just shut my eyes and just ride through my plan. And I find that that really puts me in a good place because I've sort of got the system down then, if that makes sense. Obviously with horses at this level, not everything goes to plan, but if you 
if you know what you're planning to execute, then that makes it easier, I think. So what is your training philosophy like? Probably my biggest uh, training philosophy would be that I treat all horses as individuals. I think that's very, very important that it's not just one way for each animal or there's not just one bit or one answer or anything like that. I'm, I'm very much a believer that they're all individuals just like we are. So I think if we approach that, um, I try and teach my students that too. And mostly when I have a, a new client, I usually um, have a sit on the horse just so I kind of have a feel. I think that makes a really big difference um, in helping them to understand it because quite often you can't feel the same thing that you see. And sometimes that that helps take you to the solution a bit quicker. Um, but yeah, that's definitely my my main philosophy, I guess. How would you describe your teaching style? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's a question for the students. <laughs> um, I guess I'm quite involved. I'd probably say more than some people want. I probably talk too much for some people, <laughs> um, but um, I, I would say definitely if if things are going very well, I wouldn't always look at the clock, if that makes sense. I wouldn't say, oh, well, we have to go for 45 minutes. Like, I'm not really a believer in just pushing the horses past what you've achieved. And maybe we, if the horse has done a brilliant job and it's done in 30 minutes, then maybe we chat through some stuff we work our way through but I, I do think it's it's important to teach what you have in front of you and not always watch the clock if that makes sense I think that's the, the, sometimes people come away with a bit more that way and I'm not saying I cut all my lessons short that's coming out wrong but <laughs> but we're definitely trying to go for making sure everybody learns something and they have homework to go away with that's um a big part of my goal is to give people something to work with when they leave and do you ever find when you're teaching your students that there happens to be like one thing that a lot of them need to work on? Or is there one thing in your training that you specifically like to focus on for your for your students to work on? Yeah, I definitely think I, uh, that most people I find um, don't use their leg enough. And um, I've always said, I think especially people with hotter horses, I always say the hotter the horse, the more leg you need to put on. Um, that's something I find most people sort of think they have their leg on the horse, but they don't. Um, and that tends to make a big difference. And certainly in the jumping, I would say nearly everyone, I find myself telling them to pull their shoulders back and sit up a little bit more in front of the fence. Um, and I find that makes a really big difference because a lot of people don't realize they hold on with their knees and then you can't put your leg on and then your body tips forward and then your horse loses confidence or you can't put your leg on when you need it. So that seems to be one of the biggest things is to teach everyone to, to sit up taller and just relax through their upper leg and, and put, put their lower leg on the horse. And it seems to make a really big difference. Do you have any type of like favorite exercise? Um, I mean, I do in, in most of my clinics, we, we definitely do a good few courses because I think the only way you get better at courses is by doing them. So I put a lot of, um, bending lines in because that's such a, a thing now at all of our events is you've always got the related distance on a bending line which nobody's comfortable with so we do a lot of that and um, a lot of what I work on now as well is um, having sort of a, a line of two fences usually an ox or in a vertical that's sort of set for six or seven strides um, usually around yeah probably like six strides generally and then we'll 
sort of have people go down that and while it's small, go down that in seven strides and then maybe go down it in eight strides and just teaching the horse to have gears and adjustability. Um, I think that's a really big thing is being able to move them on or bring them back and, and have them listening and, and really with you. Um, so that's something I do again in a lot of my teaching at home and also in a lot of my clinics. We, we sort of start with that, um, work our way through. And then like I say, I'm a, a big believer in doing courses, maybe doing things that don't make you comfortable because the only way you get better is by facing the things that make you uncomfortable. So um, I set pretty pretty challenging courses, like I say, with a lot of related lines and a lot of bends and just ways to, to teach people to be more comfortable with that. So why do you think you've been so success, successful as a rider, excuse me? Uh, well, <laughs> I think I could still be a lot more successful than I have been. Um, I've just been working really hard, just trying to get better, to be honest. Um, I also think it's it's been really great that um, I have some wonderful owners and supporters that have helped me to to keep some of the young horses that I've sourced. Um, and I think I think suddenly it feels like forever when you find young horses and you think, oh, they're never going to get there. And suddenly they're all stepping up to four star. And that's really cool. And it, it and you suddenly have a, a great string of horses that you've been able to produce in the beginning. And that's something that's been really fun is nearly all my horses now I've had from four or five year olds and a lot of them were bought to be sale horses and maybe were a little too tricky, but very talented. And, and I've luckily got this wonderful string of owners who've, who've helped to buy into them so that I could keep the ride and keep producing them. And um, it's fun that they're starting to come on up through now. So that's um, helping, helping me to be successful is having good horses, I think definitely. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I still have a, a lot of work to do. So I'm going to keep working hard. And what is the hardest part of this sport for you? I mean, certainly for me, I, I like I am kind of a workaholic, but I think, I think this sport more than other horse sports, you find yourself on the road a lot and just very, very busy, like just trying to get through all the training that the horses need and all those different things. So I am, I do find that I don't really stop and that part is tricky I think for spending time with my husband and spending time away and getting stuff done in the house and just all of that like that is a challenge um it's also great I love that side of it um but certainly like when I was in England we were I was on the road four days a week just trying to get to the gallops and you know take the horse to the aqua trainer and things that we're trying to do and um, I'm trying hard to to be more efficient with all of that but it's, I think, um, you know, training horses to be eventers, there's a lot of things they need to do and the fitness level is high and there's, it's just very, very busy. I just find that I don't have much time to stop, which I guess I don't like to stop that much, but sometimes it would probably be a, a healthy thing to do. <laughs> we talked about your younger self a little bit before, but if you had to give advice to your younger self, what would it be? Or do you have any regrets or anything like that? Um, I mean, the biggest thing I would say is that uh, I would tell my younger self to work harder and fight harder. I, I think I was not the, not the dedicated person I am now and not definitely didn't have the work ethic I have now. And, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was always a busy person, but, um, I think if I just had that focus, 
that I have now. Um, I think I would have been that much better back then. Um, and I, quite frankly, I wasn't very good when I was younger, so <laughs> I'm not even going to say I was, but um, I, I do think I just, that's my feeling for, for everybody when you're younger. I just tell them if you want it, you just should work hard for it. And um, I think that took me moving to England to really understand what it took and what commitment I could have. And that, that taught me, that taught me to, to work that much more. But I think that's, that's what I would tell myself. Just fight harder. If in doubt, fight harder. What's next for you? I know we have Kentucky is in what a week and a half. And mm -hmm. then, you know, we're looking at the Olympics coming up. So can you tell us your thoughts on those two things and what's next for you? Yeah, I mean, this spring, obviously, the whole focus has been um, putting in a good performance at Kentucky. So that's the next step. And then um, I very much hope the, the next big step after that is is a trip to Tokyo. That's sort of my whole goal this, this spring. And um, uh, it's been great, too. We've had a bunch of young horses that have stepped up a level this spring. So that's been fantastic. Um, got a few horses going to Jersey. And then um, probably a lot of our younger horses will will have a little break even the ones who've all moved up a level they'll have a little break in the summer because i think this this season in america can become very very long so they need to have a little bit of time off but certainly my my full 100 focus right now is on kentucky and then the next step after that so do you think you know looking at the olympics de niro z or Cooley, do you know which one you might go with or which one you would like to go with if you're given um, the opportunity, yeah, I definitely think De Niro is is the horse that um, should be selected, and I I very much hope that we are selected. Um, but I would also hope that I could put Cooley Quicksilver in there as a, as a definite consideration as a reserve. Um, he's a very good horse. He's only a ten year old, but um, he is a good horse. This is his first five star. Um, so uh, yeah, he's got. Got a big shoes to fill, but he's, he's a good horse and he's quite a fighter and quite a character, which I think is important in Inventor. So, um, yeah, we'll know a lot more next week. But right now, my, my goal is for De Niro to be selected to the team and um, we'll do my very best to put in the best performance we've ever put in next week. But yeah, I really, really appreciate you taking this time to talk with us. And I just know our listeners are going to love to hear this. So it's been really awesome. I appreciate oh, I so. you giving <laughs> us a little insight into your life. No worries. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode with Liz Halliday-Sharp. And a big thank you to the sponsor of this week's episode, Bymeda. Learn more at bymedaus.com. Join us again for upcoming conversations with eventer Caroline Martin and show jumper Lucy Delorier who are both vying for a spot on their respective U.S. Olympic teams. You can subscribe to the Practical Horseman podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. While you're there, please rate and review the show. I'm Julia Murphy, and you've been listening to the Practical Horseman podcast.